If you have the good book with you, if you'd like to open it to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. And uh, we're actually going to be reading verses 1 to 13. If you could just have that ready and we will get to that in just a moment, whether it's a hard copy or on your phone. If you haven't got U version of the Bible, it's always a handy one to have, U version. Download the app. Continuing our series, we're going through this letter of Peter and we'll come to it in just a moment. Just a couple of in-house things before we get to that. As you know, next weekend is our annual vision dinner. God has been good to us this year and we're coming together to celebrate uh, all that he's done to have a look back over the past year, starting with barefoot bowls at five o'clock if we don't get rained out, rained out like we did last year. Uh, come and enjoy that with the whole family and then uh, dinner and uh, presentations uh, through the evening. Uh, tonight, uh, heading into that, is uh, our uh, prayer night and our vision for next year is focusing on the Word. Our three words here is Word, Spirit, Mission. We believe in the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the mission of God. And, uh, and uh, next year the focus is on the Word. So we are having a prayer night tonight uh, between 6 and 7. And uh, just to say it's not our usual uh, discipleship style and prayers are written out so the kids can join in. So I'm sorry kids, there's no lollies and uh, chips and fruit and everything else. We can have supper if anybody brings it. I've got, you know, I'll put on the kettle, um, but there won't be that uh, there tonight. But the kids are also welcome to come. It's only for an hour, and as was mentioned, uh, squeeze into our place at 69 Harry Street. The other thing I want to mention, if you're unable uh, next weekend to be there, part of Vision Dinner is also helping uh, the church leadership as we put together the budget for the new year, and this is in-house, so those who are partners or part of Outlook here, and uh, if you can't be there but you'd like to help us uh, in planning the budget for next year, there are the giving cards, and uh, you can put down what you're planning to give without names on these uh, each week next year, as well as the one-off gift uh, that we raise each uh, vision dinner that's helped us to do all that we've done this past year. So if you can help us with that, that would be a great help um, if you're not able to be there next, sun, uh, next Saturday night. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, and we'll ask Warwick to read it to us. The day of the Lord. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. 
But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the, Lord, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Thank you, Warwick. That's the word of the living God. We've just read a passage uh, from the Bible that was written by the one we call the big fisherman. His name was Peter, and uh, he was one of the disciples that Jesus called. He was in the fishing business with his family, and uh, Jesus called him to follow him. He's also the guy who was there on that first Easter Sunday morning uh, when the ladies came back from the tomb they were going to put spices and prepare the body for burial and they came back and found that the body was gone the tomb was open and uh, Peter and John ran and he was the first to get there he went in and uh, there there he saw the uh, grave clothes empty and nobody and uh, he is the same Peter who saw Jesus ascend to, to heaven this is Peter, the big fisherman. This is the guy who betrayed Jesus, but then became a, a firebrand for Jesus, was willing to be crucified, they say, even upside down, because he didn't feel he was worthy to be crucified the same way as his Lord, ultimately under Nero later, because he would not recant or would not say that Jesus did not rise from the dead. And we have just listened to what he was writing uh, to some of the early Christians, to the early church in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at this passage in just a moment. Before we do, we're going to pray. And uh, we're also going to pray for someone in our church family whose mum's way over on the other side of the world in Finland and has been taken to hospital with a heart problem and uh, has had to have a, um, a temporary pacemaker put in uh, just now. And so uh, we're just going to pray for Elizabeth. If you don't know Elizabeth, where's Elizabeth? Elizabeth over there and uh, for her mum in Finland. Let's pray. Father, we're limited by time and space, but you are not. You are everywhere present. And we thank you, Father, that we can come to you as a God who cares and loves and a God of compassion, who hears and answers prayer. And so we come with Elizabeth's mother's need, that you would just heal her and raise her up to health and strength that you would give the doctors great wisdom and that you would comfort and help her dad as well at this time. Lord, you know all the other complications within the family and we just pray that you would come upon that family with great peace and great comfort and great assurance. And they would hold on to you at this time of uncertainty. 
And Lord, may Elizabeth's mum know your presence in a very personal and powerful way right now in that hospital in Finlay. And Father, for us, as we meet here in your presence with your people, we ask that you would help us to hear the still, small voice of the Spirit of God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter is writing to the church and he's speaking to us and he's encouraging us, which we're going to look at this week and probably in a couple of weeks' time, to be ready for his coming and how to be ready for his coming. But during this time, as we saw last week, there were some false teachers coming into the church. First, Peter was trying to help the church to uh, be ready for and to uh, face the opposition that was coming from outside. But the second letter that he writes... He's writing to the church because the opposition now is not from outside. It's wrong teaching and false teaching coming from within the church, from people who are saying that they are followers of Jesus, but they just know more than everybody else, and they're more spiritual than anybody else, and uh, they have special knowledge that they don't have. And uh, they are actually starting to say and starting to make fun of the teaching that the apostles taught, that the Old Testament prophets taught, that Jesus is coming back, that there is two comings of the Lord Jesus Christ. One is to be the great saviour of the world and to give his life as a ransom for many that we sang about this morning, but he's also coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords to bring justice and judgment to the world. Because you see, the prophets teach and the apostles teach that this is God's world. This is a moral universe. And this world didn't come out by accident. It was brought about by a person to whom we are accountable to and to whom one day we will stand and give an account for our life. The Bible says, appointed unto man once to die and after that, the judgment. And so the question is, are you ready for his coming? Are you ready for his coming? Peter writes to the church and he's very concerned for them. He says, dear friends, these are not people he doesn't care about. These are people he cares very dearly about. He's been called by Jesus to be their shepherd, to care for their spiritual well-being. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. The purpose of preaching is to remind us and to repeat stuff to us. That's why we do the Lord's Supper over and over again to remind us and to repeat the truth that Jesus died, was buried and rose again from the dead. And next Sunday, we will meet around the Lord's table to take the bread and the wine as Jesus told us to repeat, to remind us of what he's done for us and how we need to trust him. And Peter is writing, First Peter and here Second Peter, as reminders and repeating what he said before. I don't know whether you've ever been to conferences. Sometimes you go to leadership conferences or conferences in your business and you think, I've heard that before, I've heard that before. And sometimes I thought, what's the use of going to them? And I remember one old fellow used to say to me, just go and ask God to give you one thing that will help you. Very often it's reminding you of something you know, but you haven't put it into practice. And part of reading the scriptures and coming to church and hearing preaching, sometimes you said, I've heard this before, I know this, but it's to remind us. It's to remind us. That's why we repeat it. It's to remind us. And he goes on to say, 
to wholesome thinking. I'm having trouble with this this morning. That's the second time I've dropped it. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Actually, the picture behind that is they are being wholesome in their thinking, and he's encouraging them to stimulate them to go on in that way. That is, the picture is that their thinking has not been infiltrated by the false teaching of the false teachers. It's been uncontaminated, and he's encouraging his dear friends to stay that way and keep going that way, to be uncontaminated by the false teaching that's coming up within the church. Because false teaching can affect you badly just like the mistake I made this morning with breakfast. There were two lots of wheat bix there in the cupboard. And without looking at the sign on the side of it, I grabbed one and had a, that tastes a little bit different. And uh, then afterwards I went back to see which one had gluten-free on it. Ah, it was not the one that I picked up. No wonder it tasted different. It wasn't gluten-free. And so fermentation has been happening at incredible rates this morning, but hopefully we'll get through the rest of this talk without it affecting anybody, at least of me. Why did I tell you that? I don't know, but, but I was contaminated. You see, I, I let that stuff that affected me get in. But Peter is writing to his dear friends and he's encouraging them because of their wholesome thinking and encourage them to stimulate them to go on that way. Don't be infected by this false teaching. And what is the false teaching that he's so concerned about? Well, first of all, he wants to encourage them in the confidence they have in God's Word because that's where this false teaching is contrary to what God has already said. I want to recall the words spoken in the past by the Holy Prophets, speaking about the Old Testament that we have in our Bibles. And the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles, Peter and Paul and the other apostles who we have written in the New Testament. And so he's talking about the unity of all the Scriptures, Old and New Testaments. And he wants them to have confidence in what God has said in that. Because you see, the Bible is a unified whole with one central figure, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Old Testament prophesies and points to him, tells us what he's going to do. It tells us he's coming as the Savior of the world, who's going to become the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and brings about the forgiveness of sins and restoration with God. It also tells us that he's coming as the ultimate king and judge to rule and reign on this earth, and we're accountable to him. And then the apostles talk, speak back and tell us of his actual coming, that we have met him, we've seen him, and we were there at the crucifixion, we were there at the resurrection, we have seen the risen Lord Jesus. He is exactly who the prophets had said he would be. And then there is Christ himself who does come in person into our world. And the Bible is a unity with a central figure of our Lord Jesus Christ. The prophets pointing to it and the apostles pointing back to it. And they are unified in this one thing, that Jesus is coming again. And the false teachers are coming into the church and denying the second coming of Christ. Not just denying it, but scoffing at it. 
I mean, how daft are you, followers of Jesus, believing that he's coming again? They are saying that Jesus has already sort of come again by the coming of the Holy Spirit. He's sort of already come in spirit. And there has been multiple people over the years who have said that Jesus is coming and unfortunately, contrary to what the Scripture says, they've put a date on it. I think 1948 was one. People in some churches listened to the false teachers, sold their homes and went out for the coming of Jesus and he didn't turn up. And so people have scoffed the church and continue to scoff, and rightly so in that situation, because we're going to learn something that the apostles have told us very clearly about his coming. And uh, they went out there, and of course he didn't come, and then they said, oh, well, he's come spiritually. But the Bible talks just like Jesus came the first time, he came bodily and actually and really that we could see and touch him, that he's coming again actually and really and bodily in that resurrection body that was raised from the dead. And Jesus is coming in. But the false teachers are coming into the church and mocking it and denying it. And they're saying this, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. In the last days. Now, let me just clarify something here. Because sometimes in the church, people talk about, oh, we're in the last days. Do you believe we're in the last days? As if last days are sort of happening at a particular point. Biblically, we have been in the last days since the resurrection of Jesus. That is, the Bible speaks about the former days looking forward to Jesus coming. And the latter days, the last days, is since Jesus has come, leading up to the return of Christ himself. You must understand that in these last days, in these days of fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament, scoffers will come. And they will follow their own thinking and their own ideas and they will say, well, nothing's happened for so long, he's not coming back. And they will say that we're in a stable universe. No, God will not break in cataclysmically. This is the belief in uniformitarianism that everything just goes on the same. We've just been slowly evolving over a million and million years. Nothing will ever change dramatically. And so they will scoff at the idea of a cataclysmic inbreaking of God into his world. And so Peter's answer is this. You need to remember some things. Let me remind you of some things, Peter's saying, and let me help you to remember some things. But they deliberately forget, they choose to forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these same waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. They forget creation was cataclysmic. They forget the flood was cataclysmic. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. See, for some time, scientists were saying this world is 
has been going on forever and uniformitarianism and then the idea of the Big Bang came, the Big Bang Theory, not the movie or the program, but the theory of the Big Bang and that suddenly people thought, well, isn't that what creation is all about? That out of the water, out of this chaos that was there that Genesis talks about, God uh, brings by his word the land out of the water and recreates and creates this universe by his word and says, let there be light and let the land come forth. And then he sustains it by water, out of water and by water. And the same waters he uses to destroy the world with the flood in the days of Noah. Do you know, it's an interesting thing that if you go around and study, um, what's the study of human beings? Anthropology, that's the word I'm wanting. And if you, anthropologists have found that across the globe, in many very different cultures, there are flood stories and a family that's saved, slightly different, but the same concept all around the world in different cultures. There are these flood stories that sometime in our past, this world has been deluged by a flood and a family was rescued from it. They have different sorts of boats about it. But pointing back to that same reality that Peter's saying here, this world was deluged and destroyed by a flood and God sent Noah as a preacher of righteousness and people laughed and said it wouldn't happen and God won't break in and God won't judge them and God won't punish them for their sin and, uh, and so they didn't believe it and he built the ark and into that his family went and they were rescued out of it, of that flood. And the New Testament talks about Jesus as the one who rescues us from the judgment of God. And we'll come to that in just a moment. So Peter's answer is, you need to remember creation. You need to remember the flood. And you better be reminded of the recreation that's coming. And the next time it will be by fire. So he's saying this is not a stable universe. God has broken in before in a cataclysmic way. And he will again. And this second coming will bring about his judgment. Let me just pause for a moment. Have you ever been asked the question, how can a good God, how can there be a good God if there's so much evil in the world? Have you ever been asked the question? Hello out there? Ever been asked? It's a common one. And it's the struggle that every human being has. You see, because underneath, we also want justice. We want evil to be punished. And there is, we live in a moral universe. And some people say, well, I don't believe in God because there's so much evil in the world. But then, how do you explain it if you don't believe in God? Let me throw it out to you. Stop for a moment and think with me. You see, if you say there is such a thing as evil, there must be such a thing as good. Otherwise, how do you differentiate? And if you say there is good and evil, then you are saying there must be a moral law to differentiate between good and evil. Because how do you decide what's good and what's evil? Unless there's a moral law. And if there's a moral law in this universe, there must be a moral law giver. 
And yet people use the thought that there is evil in the world to prove that there is no God. But you see, if there is no God and there is no moral law, if there's no moral law, there's no good and evil, and if you're a true atheist, you have to come to the conclusion that Dawkins comes to, that there is no such thing as good and evil, we're just dancing to our DNA. And we're just doing whatever our DNA says. But then when something happens like happens on the beach up in North Queensland and the young girl gets murdered, there is outrage in us because within us we feel that there must be justice. That is evil. That is wrong. Because within us there is this reality that we were created in the image of God. And there is such a thing as good and evil and God is there. And the scripture says that God will punish evil. Justice will come. Justice will come. And wrong will be righted. The problem is, evil is not out there. Evil is in here. A number of years ago, a leading paper in London asked some leading intellectuals to give a reason for why there's so much evil in the world. Can you explain the world and all this evil? Where does it come from? And G.K. Chesterton sent just a one-word answer back. Dear sir, because the question was, what's the problem with the world? And he said, dear sir, I am yours faithfully. You see, came to the realization, we always think there's evil out there, but if we're truly honest, the problem is there's evil in here. There's evil in here. And the cross is the center of that, where love and mercy and justice coalesce. And in his love and mercy, God has come to deal with our evil. And on the cross, the one who was absolutely good and righteous became sin for us and experience the justice and the judgment of God so that we in, in turn receive his love and mercy because evil is not just out there, evil is in here. And we'll see, that's why Peter says, God hasn't come in judgment yet. Not because he's forgetful or he can't do what he said he would do, but he's patient and merciful. And that's why he hasn't come. And so Peter's answer goes on to say a couple of things, a couple of more things before we come back to that thought. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to his repent, come to repentance. Peter's saying the false teachers are saying, Jesus is not coming. That's, a, that's an old concept. You know, he's sort of already come. He's not coming again in judgment and justice. How horrific and horrible is that? Fancy having such an archaic thought that we will have to give an account to God and justice will come and judgment will come. Don't tell me you believe in such a thing as hell. And he tells him a couple of things. God is outside of time. It may seem a long time, but God is not bound by time. For him, a thousand years is a day. There is no such thing for God. It's the ever-present now. We are bound by the solar system and time, but God is outside of time. He created time. 
And so what's a million years to God? And the other thing he reminds us of and help wants us to realize is the Lord is not slow. It's not that he's forgotten or he's slack is what they're trying to say. But God is merciful. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. And he's giving us an opportunity to turn around, to change our thinking, to change the direction of our life. So Peter's answer saying, don't presume because judgment hasn't come yet, Christ hasn't returned yet, that God has forgotten or he's slack or he can't keep his promises. Don't fall into that trap. No, realize God is patient, incredibly patient. But his coming will bring judgment. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. You won't know when. So if people start saying it's going to be on 2020, on April the 15th, do not believe them. Jesus said it. The apostles said it. Nobody knows the time. It's coming like a thief. What's the idea of a thief? He comes as a surprise. You don't know when he's going to break into your house. And then when he does come, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. He will come with justice and judgment and we don't know when it will be. The second coming brings judgment and the second coming also brings restoration. This is what we call the hope of, of the church. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven, a new earth where righteousness dwells, a recreated world, this time by fire as the first one was done by a flood with recreated people where righteousness, right living happens. Isn't that the desire of every heart? We just wanted to live in a peaceful world where truth and justice and what's right is done. And when horrific things happen, we say, how in the world can that happen? Because the Bible teaches we live in a fallen world and we are part of that. We are rebels against God and the evil is in here and God is going to deal with that. But he's giving us time to repent. But we look forward to a restoration, new heavens and new earth, where we will live with new resurrection bodies. That's the Christian hope. So the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So my question I come back to that I started with, are you ready for his return? Are you ready for the coming? The word perusia is the appearing when a king or, or a great leader turned up, it was spoken of as his parousia, his arrival. And when are the king of kings, the creator of the universe, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ turns up, arrives at the second coming, at his parousia, will you be ready? Because his second coming is not as a meek and mild. His second coming is not with compassion and mercy. His second coming is what we in our hearts desire and long for, that there, somehow there must be justice and judgment. 
How can people get away with that and get away with that and get away with that? And murder and genocide and evil and rape and wrong and never brought to justice. Well, the Bible teaches there is one who sees everything. And we can never run from him. And one day we will give an account to him. But the problem is, there's also evil in here, in me and in you. And we might compare ourselves to others and say, but it's only this much in comparison to, I haven't done all that. But God is absolutely just and absolutely holy. And the only way we can be accepted by him is if we are righteous like he is. So how in the world can we ever live in these new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells? Well, that's the answer of Christianity seen in the cross. That's where mercy and justice meets. That's where good and evil are dealt with. The cross is the answer. And people say, does God understand suffering? Yes, he's come into this evil world and taken on human form and suffered just like you and me. And was crucified for nothing that he had done wrong, unjustly and undeserved. And in that act, he took the justice of God upon man's rebellion and sin and evil and wrong. And he offers you and me love and mercy. Not because we're good enough, but because we're evil. But he is good enough. And in place of our evil, he wants to give us his good. In place of our sin, he wants to give us his righteous life. We talk about it being born again, the new creation. You see, because one day there'll be new heavens and new earth, but he starts with building new people who can live in that new world. And it starts with us coming to the cross of Jesus. And as Peter says, he is waiting for you to repent. He is so patient. But one day he will come. And we don't know when, so we need to be ready. So don't presume on his patience. Repent now. And that means turn. I used to believe that God wasn't there but I'm turning and believing that God is there. I used to believe that I could get there with my own good efforts, but I'm turning and believing I need to be forgiven. I used to think I was righteous enough, but I'm turning and realizing that I can only be forgiven through receiving his righteous life, his resurrection life. Will I turn to Christ, ask him for forgiveness, and receive the gift of eternal life this morning, and so be ready for his coming, and I stand in his righteous life on the basis of his justice already poured out on Christ on my behalf as my substitute. And I begin the Christian life by receiving this new birth, this new life, this eternal life now. So that one day I will have a new body, a resurrection body, and live in the new heavens and the new earth. I either accept the judgment on my behalf that was given out or paid out on Christ. Or I say I want to take it myself when Jesus comes and I will pay the price. But justice is coming. Wrongs will be righted. You can go to the bank on that. Jesus will return. 
as King of kings and Lord of lords in justice and judgment. And the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is God, is Yahweh. So will I stand before him as a rebel? Or will I stand before him as a forgiven sinner? And so I invite you this morning, if you've never prayed this prayer or a prayer like it, dear God, I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live my new life with Jesus, live a new life with Jesus as my ruler. You see, Christians don't believe that they're better than anybody else. Christians have come to the realization that they're sinners, that they deserve the judgment of God because they're a rebel. And they have come to Jesus and asked him to forgive them. They are forgiven sinners. And in the confidence of the love and mercy that God has shown them, they have confidence to face the second coming. They're ready for his coming because they know his judgment has passed over. Not because of their goodness, but because of the cross. Judgment has been taken. Have you gone into the ark of Jesus? Have you asked for his forgiveness? And have you received the gift of eternal life? If not, I invite you to pray this prayer out loud with me and I'm going to invite everybody to pray it with me out loud whether you've done this before or not. But God sees the heart. And God knows whether you're praying by faith and saying, yes, I want to be forgiven. Yes, I want to know that I'm ready for his coming. Yes, I want justice and judgment to come because there is so much evil in the world that has to be fixed. But the problem is I'm part of that evil. And that includes me. But will I receive his mercy on the basis of his death? Pray it out loud with me, congregation. Let's pray. Dear God, I know I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live a new life with Jesus as my ruler. Amen. Next Sunday as we meet around the Lord's table and take communion together, very often we say these three things that the communion reminds us of. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Well, communion points back, but it also points forward. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. He hasn't come yet because he's merciful. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. But he will come like a thief, and we need to be ready. I hope you're ready. And in God's name, I say, if you're not, will you? Ask a friend you know who knows Jesus. Pray that prayer. We've got some books that can help you to 
know for sure and help you to go get confidence in your Christian faith. But be ready today because it could be at any time. Let's pray. Oh, Father, when you created this universe, you said it was very good. And yet we, your creation, have rebelled against you and ignored you, thumbed our noses at you. We don't believe you have the power or the strength to put it right, but you have said you will. And we thank you that you've come in mercy and love in Jesus to give us the opportunity to be rescued from the judgment we deserve and the justice that we need. And we thank you for Jesus and for the blood and the life he gave so that we could be forgiven. And I pray for any who this morning have asked you to forgive their sin and give them the gift of eternal life, that you would anoint them by your Holy Spirit, that they would know that you're their child, that they are your child. They would know that they are forgiven, that they would know that they have eternal life, that they would have that assurance that they have been rescued from the judgment and the justice that we all deserve. And we look forward to the coming. We look forward to new heavens and new earth. We look forward to the resurrection body. We look forward to the world as you created it to be, reflecting your beauty and your goodness and your love and your holiness and your justice and your peace. And we live in anticipation of that great day. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor John, for opening up the living word of God to us this morning. Opportunity now given for a collection of tithes and offerings. If you're new or visiting here this morning, don't be embarrassed or feel obligated. Just let the bucket pass by. But if you'd like to fill in the Connect card and pop that in, that would be much appreciated. Um, please remain seating while the worship team take us through the, the final song and the worship leader will ask us to stand later in the song. Thank you very much. <laughs> 